This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. Hello, everyone. I'm Stephanie Gordon, Associate Editor for Top Crop Manager. Today, we're going to be talking about crop rotation. By the time this podcast airs, harvest would have hopefully wrapped up and producers will be starting to plan ahead and think about next year. Or for many of you, already know what you're planting next year and starting to secure the seed for it. So to help me talk about what's involved with good crop rotation, I'm joined today by Darren Bond, Farm Management Specialist with Manitoba Agriculture. Hi, Darren. Hi, how's it going? It's good. How are you? Oh, great. So first question for you is just tell me a little bit about yourself and your current role. Sure. I'm uh, currently farm management specialist with Manitoba Agriculture. I'm based out of Toulon, which is in the Interlake region in Manitoba. So about uh, half an hour, 45 minutes north of Winnipeg. Uh, Currently, uh, I do a lot of uh, things with farm management, um, focusing on uh, crop profitability, costs of production, and things like that. So one of the things that I've, I've find interesting and it's uh, turned into a passion is how the decisions between crop production and farm management and profitability intersect and, and how both play a role in decision-making for farmers for today. Mm-hmm. And based on your general understanding of, you know, like crop rotation, would you say that it's standard practice among all Canadian producers or is there still more we could be doing in terms of how we do crop rotation right now? Well, crop rotation is an evolving thing and it's not something that's that's ever static. I, I talk to quite a few producers in, in my job and, and I always chuckle that producers will say, well, crop rotation's great, but I need something that brings me profit. And that's something that I think that when we think of crop rotation, it's something that is not just about rotating crops, but it also is about creating profitability on the farm. It's about reducing risk on the farm. Um, and, And the big thing right now, especially with some of the volatility that we've had between weather and markets, it's how do you adapt and continually change? So this is not something that's ever static. It's something that's that's always changing. And it's something that I think producers are really keen on learning more about and, and improving themselves because if you have a, a beneficial crop rotation, you do have the, the, the profitability and the reduced risk and, and greater yields and, and less costs, everything like that. So it's something that it's, it's something top of mind and, and it's, it's something that producers are always looking at trying to improve. And I definitely can see that because uh, one of the uh, articles I see on our site that really gains a lot of traction around this kind of sort of time, uh, you know, after harvest during the winter time is it's just a simple article. It's called Crop Rotations, Eight Things to Consider. And it's just kind of people looking back at the basics as to, you know, what to consider for rotation. And it's kind of like what you said, like it's always top of mind. And now kind of with what's going on outside with trade, with weather, you know, these questions are starting to come up a lot more. Um, so for those that, can, you know, aren't really kind of, who are still running these tight rotations, like wheat, canola, back-to-back, um, what are some of the responses you've heard against switching to longer rotations? Or for those that haven't really adapted 
some of the longer rotations. Do you think, um, what do you think is their biggest hurdle to adopting a, like a longer rotation? Well, I think we have to understand why these uh, tighter rotations are there. Um, they're there for two big reasons. One is that it's brought the producer success uh, in the past, and it's something that producers often feel comfortable in doing. They know how to grow those crops. And that's actually a pretty important factor when we come to think about our crop rotation and what we're going to do for into the future. Um, that's a barrier to growing a new crop, that lack of production knowledge, the lack of familiarity with the crop and the increased risk. So that's definitely something to consider. Now the question comes into where do we have more risk? Do we have more risk having this tighter rotation of say a wheat canola or is there more risk with having a wider uh, variety of crops? But I think that producers they, they do these tight rotations because they understand it. In Manitoba, for example, uh, roughly 80% of our crops fall into spring wheat, canola, or soybeans. So it's pretty reasonable to say that we have th uh, a three-crop rotation in, in the province. It's pretty, it's pretty uh, standard for, for what we see. In the, in the western side of the province of Manitoba, it'd be a little less soybeans, especially with some of the dryness, at least during the growing season that we've had. It's... Um, it's uh, made producers a little bit more cautious to, to soybeans, but it seems like that's the, the three crops that we grow. And again, it goes back down to the familiarity of growing it. It goes, goes back to what we've had success in the past. But again, when just what we talked about, the, the volatility in the weather and the trade is putting pressure on those tight rotations and making us rethink that we, we need to maybe change some of these tighter rotations. Mm -hmm. And kind of going off of that, do you think that one of the misconceptions of starting a new crop is that there is a bigger learning curve than there actually is? Like that someone needs to, you know, adapt their machinery beyond what they're used to? Like, do you really think that there is much that's switched over, especially when you kind of maybe stick with around the same type of crop? Like you just try a different type of pulse one year or anything like that. Do you think that that's maybe a misconception or that there is something to switching crop and then kind of having to switch everything, like the settings, your inputs and all that stuff? Well, when we, we talk about rotations now, especially with the uh, seed genetic technology that's there, and that's something that's just improved immensely over the last few years that uh, we've really given producers uh, a good uh, tool in their toolbox for for obtaining profitability and managing risk. There, there's a bunch of different reasons why we choose the crops that we choose. It's from things from disease, uh, insects, and it just in, in Manitoba, we had in, in my area producers spray three times for flea beetles in the spring after the seed treatments wore off. Um, moisture usage, again, that's top of, my, top of mind in our area because we've had such a dry growing season and now we have such a wet fall. Choosing crops based on moisture usage is big. Fertility, mm -hmm. weeds, even chemical resistance. Uh, again, in our area, we have group two resistance, uh, wild oat resistance and group one resistance. So how do we change that up? So, so all these things go into it. And even within the spectrum of choosing which crops you want, there's even 
what type of traits within the crop that we want that's part of our rotation as well. So this makes it for a very big decision and, and a lot of inputs go into that decision and there's there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of variability. So let's talk a bit about that. You mentioned how there's herbicide resistance. So a lot of the benefits of a well-balanced crop rotation is that it does have these benefits for disease and for pests. So can you touch on a little bit about some of the the benefits rotation has for disease and pest management? For sure. Life's about choices. I, I, I tell my producers that all the time. And, and we, we, we often pick our poison a little bit when it comes down to uh, making choices for management on the farm. Rotation's no different. When we start to uh, pick our crops, and especially crops that we feel comfortable in growing and harvesting. Sometimes we'll choose a tighter rotation, which will lead us to a greater dependency on fungicides and on uh, herbicides, which then leads to resistance questions. I know taking, for example, um, that uh, wheat, soybeans, canola rotation that we had talked about, and especially as uh, canola becomes producers are moving to straight cutting and and doing a a pre-harvest application. Some producers are putting glyphosate on every single season and sometimes multiple times throughout the season. So these things are something that we need to take that step back. And this time of year is a great time of year to do that, to take that step back and, and realize that is the way that we're doing things now the best way when it comes down to disease and and weeds and insects, all pests. And is there a better way to do it rather than managing with chemicals? And not to say that we're going to ever move away from, from chemicals, but it's to change up how we use that so we have better efficiency and efficacy for having to deal with those pests. So that's uh, very much top of mind for, for producers. So in, in my area, we've seen with dealing with the uh, resistant wild oats, for example, producers have gone to uh, a hybrid fall rye to change things up. They have changed up and, and moved back to some older technologies and chemicals for for some soil-borne um, chemicals to, to try to change up the look to these weeds. And some of that's production, but some of it's also uh, crop rotation too, and even extending some of the um, intervals for when you plant, say, spring wheat, for example, and instead of going every second year, maybe going every fourth year or something like that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it really is just kind of like planning ahead and having it be longer. And what you said about, you know, making sure that we're diverse and the you know the inputs we're using especially with glyphosate we want to make sure that you know we keep that longevity because it takes so long for new products to come to market it's important we don't lose what we um what we already have and kind of what you were talking about with the tighter rotations there's actually research out of uh, agriculture agri-food canada brandon so afc brandon uh that looked at the relationship between the frequency of canola rotations and blackleg And so the researcher, Debbie McLaren, her research showed that the shorter the rotation, the higher the percentage of diseased plants were found in the field. So in back-to-back canola, which I hope isn't as frequent as um, it might be, uh, they were seeing a very high disease presence. So as much as 30% uh, of plants were diseased, but in the longer rotations, 
for example, growing canola once in three years, uh, this really reduced the disease instance by almost half. So the percentage of diseased plants in the three-year rotation was just above 15%. So that was almost half. And that's just adding two extra two extra years when you're growing. So it really makes uh, much of a difference. And, and that makes you know, sense, right? And that makes sense that as we as we condense these these rotations and have these tighter rotations and and grow crops more frequently that we are going to have problems. Um, and we do have these tools, mainly fungicides, herbicides, insecticides that we can use to help manage that. But again, it's and you made the reference to that it's like going to the well one too many times. You got to be careful how often you do that, because what we don't want is we don't want to have a train wreck and we we flirted with that a little bit this this season in my area where again we're spraying multiple times for flea beetles and some of those producers in in the previous year sprayed for soybean aphids using the same grouping of insecticides so we really have to be careful on how we manage that because those those tools that we have are great tools glyphosate the other the the other uh, pesticides that we have they're great tools, but we also have to remember that they can maybe cover up some some errors in crop rotation or some shortcuts in crop rotation, and, and there's a long-term price to be paid for that. Like you say, we don't want to be able to we don't want to lose the use of those chemicals or the efficiency of those chemicals. Mm-hmm. And can you touch a little bit about the economics of a decision like that when you have to resort to fun, fungicides to kind of cover up? like a lackluster crop rotation um, or, you know, the yield reduction you might get from doing tighter rotations. Is it, does it really offset the returns of growing that, you know, higher grossing crop? I'm continually amazed by, by our producers and, and the innovations and the management techniques that they have. And one of the things that I truly admire about our producers is their ability to take what they have and turn things into an advantage and one of those things is exactly that crop rotation is that if you can take uh, and have a a great crop rotation you can turn what could be a disadvantage into an advantage which then directly impacts profitability for example um, our uh, agri insurance provider mantle agricultural services corporation on the website has uh, a crop rotation matrix showing the crop planted on the previous year's stubble and just the the yield relationship between that. So if you take, say, a spring wheat on spring wheat, so wheat back to back, often you're paying anywhere from a 10 to 20% yield penalty because of that lack of rotation. Where if you just introduce a wheat canola, you can have a couple percent bump in yield on both those crops but then when you start to throw in a third crop you might have a four to five percent yield bump on on all three crops and then it just keeps on going and going from there where you can start to see seven to ten percent more yield year after year with a proper rotation and what does that mean well it's simple what what's what are we worried about when it comes to the financial side of 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 our crops it's uh, yield price cost and if we can bump our yield, we can bump our gross income, and then we can have more left over at the end of the day to to put into further investment onto the farm, whether it be technology, whether it be land, whatever the case may be. And so those producers that 
are continually seeing that five to 10% extra yield year over year, it starts to add up, especially when you compare that to the, the neighbor who's maybe seeing a five to 10% yield penalty because of a lack of a proper rotation. You tell me who's going to be able to bid a little bit more on the land and be able to, to not only expand their farm, but also be more efficient and more profitable in the long run. So that's where the intersection between crop production management and financial management really come in. And that's where we need to look at that big picture when it comes down to our crop rotations. And uh, that's also very important like what crops to plant before to get that yield benefit because it's not just all of them. So we actually published that uh, that grid you're talking about online and I'll include it in the show notes for anyone who wants to take a look. And basically the conclusion was exactly what you're saying, that diverse rotations in the long run are more profitable. And, you know, crop rotation, like the benefits of it isn't new. I was looking at older research uh, from the 1990s and it showed that wheat yields um, this was in Saskatchewan. Wheat yields following flax, pea, and canola were uh, 16, 11, and 8% higher than wheat on wheat. Um, so this isn't really new, and I think that resource from um, Manitoba Agricultural Services is, is very good at demonstrating kind of like what you were saying, where you have that yield benefit, but it's also so tied to economics that it kind of makes a difference. Um, do you have kind of more thoughts on, you talked about how you're very interested in how the decision-making kind of has a feedback loop. So when you're thinking about crop rotation, you're worried about, you know, disease and resistance. Um, How much do you think economics play into what I'm planting for next year? Well, I I think it's it's everything. Again, going back to the producers who tell me, you know, a variable crop rotation with lots of crops is nice, but you know what, at the end of the day, I need to make my, my payments and I want to come away with a little bit for, for my endeavors, and that's exactly it. Uh, profitability and economics do rule the day when it comes down to the crop rotation, ultimately. Um, so part of it is profitability, but the other part of it is is risk. And it's something that when uh, several years ago, uh, Manitoba was in a wetter cycle. That's where soybeans came into the rotation. Soybeans was able to manage that uh, later season moisture a little bit better. And all of a sudden there was profitability to be found. The genetics caught up, production uh, uh, management abilities uh, improved. So we we saw essentially um, a crop that was uh, a fringe specialty crop really become mainstream because of the benefits that it involved and because it it got its legs underneath it, a lot of producers who were at once reluctant to introduce it into their rotation really took it and ran with it and realized that just like anything, there's a learning curve, but it became a fit on the farm. Um, but, and, and it's funny now that we were talking about soybeans and it's something where at the time of our talking, uh, we've just come through a snowstorm. We had between a foot and two feet of snow, half roughly half of our soybean crop is still out in the field. Producers are concerned. And now the discussion has turned to crop rotation again about how producers are saying, well, geez, do I have too much soybeans in my rotation considering that looking at the calendar, looking at the, the snow on the headlands, wondering if we'll be able to get back out there. So we have producers talking about maybe changing how much soybeans they have, but they also are talking about the decision to maybe change 
the length of season varieties, so long season versus shorter season varieties, soybeans. So that's where the crop rotation discussion really becomes interesting that we're maybe not talking about taking soybeans out of the rotation, but maybe producers are saying, I'm growing too many long season varieties. We're going to switch over to some shorter season varieties to mitigate the risk of these weather events and uh, the volatility that we seem to be seeing within weather. And, and in order to, again, protect risk uh, and protect profitability. And, and that, uh, that pattern of the dry summer and then kind of wet fall is something that I'm seeing for the second year in a row. So last year in 2018, we kind of saw the same thing where kind of like the snow, the rain, the wind came early. And this year, Alberta got snow in I think it was late September. And in Manitoba, I was seeing photos of snow completely covering uh, fields just past Thanksgiving so it's a lot and here in Ontario we had a very wet spring and it really delayed uh, planting season for us and now that's starting to have repercussions now in the fall where you know it's delaying your next crop your cover crop your winter wheat so you know the time management part like it really makes a difference but also you can't really predict the weather like in Manitoba could just be in a dry spell and the next year it's a very wet year so that's always really tough to account for. For sure it is. And that's something that I find most of my conversations are talking about. Well, we had excess dryness uh, in the middle of summer. Now we have excess moisture at, at right at the end of the season. And so it used to be years ago where if you were in a dry cycle, you picked your crops based on dryness. And if you're in a wet cycle, you picked your crops based on, you know, how you can get them in and how they stand up to excess moisture and how you can get them off. Now it seems like we're talking about volatility and the extremes within the weather that we're going to have extreme dryness and we're going to have extreme moisture. So how does that impact your crop rotation decisions and about mainly risk, the risk of putting all your eggs into one basket or the risk of, of not being able to, to harvest these crops or having quality issues or whatever the case may be. So crop rotation, as much as we talk about disease and pests, uh, fertility, it's also about what you on your own farm can manage. Um, so take for an example, uh, uh, a crop rotation that might have soybeans, sunflowers, and grain corn in the rotation. Going back to that matrix that we had talked about, it that adds a lot of um, a lot of variety, and and you start to see some some great yield benefit from that. However, when you're looking out the window at Thanksgiving and seeing the snow on the ground, that might not be a great rotation to have, considering that your harvest is now at the last half of the harvest window and when you have these types of shocks to the system with weather is that where you want to be so just as much as the rotation is about the benefits of disease insects uh, and weeds it's also about what your capacity on your own farm is whether it come down to harvest capacity seeding capacity grain storage capacity it's all these variables that come into it and and so one of the probably one of the best uh crop rotations that we've seen this year with the benefit of hindsight is the rotation where the combine was able to run early 
in the middle and late all at the same time and spread out the combine capacity, but then also reduce the risk of getting stuck with a lot of crop out in the field. Mm-hmm. And you know what they say, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yes, uh, yes. If we can only have that beforehand, life would be very easy. Another thing that you were mentioning was like the capacity on your farm, especially with the wet harvests that we've seen in 2016, 2018, and hopefully not too much longer for 2019. Uh, people are looking into storage and uh, grain dryers, things like that to really um you know, manage risk on the farm. So in terms of, you know, best practices, what are some of the best practices you've seen when it comes to making the rotation decisions? Um, Is it like keeping a historical log of what was done in the past, you know, always trying to incorporate, you know, a pulse every three years? What are some of the best practices that you've seen or that you've incorporated on your, your own operation? Well, I think the the historical log is is great, and when it comes down to not only crops grown but chemicals used, I think it's very very important. Um, obviously, having the mix between cereals, broadleaves, pulses that's always uh, a great benefit to the yield, and and having that variety and throwing curveballs at the pests that we have to protect against. Uh, uh, knowing that crop rotation is one of the tools or one. Of the, one of the uh, bullets in the chamber that we can use to protect against these uh, pests is, is great. But I, I think taking that step back and maybe looking at it from a 30,000 foot view is to know your own capacity and know where you're strong and where you can use some improvement when it comes down to your your own situation. So that could be, as you mentioned, grain, grain drying capacity, Obviously, if you're going to grow grain corn, you're going to need some sort of drying capacity or, or access to a dryer. Knowing that beforehand, obviously, uh, is is huge, and it's one of those uh, steps before you start to change up your your rotation. But knowing where you you are deficient is very important. And if you're feeling that you you would like to include a crop to start to change things up because again all these issues that we had talked about it's to be able to go out there and learn and and the winter season is the perfect time to do that to learn these crops learn some of the beneficial management practices for growing crops and growing uh, uh, the rotation and, and how that impacts everything because being static and not adapting to this change is the the wrong thing to do that's that's where if you quit moving and you quit trying things, that's where it's going to be a problem. And we're, we never, ever make um, a decision and have success 100% of the time. We have to acknowledge that in our quest for uh, adapting to this change and our quest for profitability, that we will have some stumbles along the way, and there's nothing wrong with that. The The thing is, is to limit those stumbles and to uh, manage them so that they don't hurt the farm uh, too much and, and essentially uh, create a, a death blow to the farm. But the, the other side of it is doing nothing is not the answer either. Mm-hmm. And uh, last year at our soil summit, we actually had Derek Axon speak and he's been experimenting a lot with uh, intercropping and actually the Southeast research farm out in Saskatchewan is also doing a lot of good work with kind of looking at intercropping. And one of the pieces of advice he gave for people starting something new was to uh, just to try something small or to try a new thing each year and kind of slowly incorporate it, especially if you don't want to like 
uh, do a big change all at once. And so I uh, kind of like what you were saying where it's like you have to start somewhere. And also, I guess, for your own interests, doing the same thing year after year. You know, I know the weather kind of has enough excitement, but sometimes it's nice to like see what you can do. And especially for some of the the next generation, those who are taking over, that could be an opportunity or something that you could kind of take ownership over where it's like, hey, I want to look into you know the market opportunity with this. Um, just a couple weeks ago, we did a podcast on growing peas because, you know, the pea protein craze was hitting Manitoba. And we looked at like, is this an opportunity for uh, the province's producers? Oh, exactly. Exactly. It, it's it's fun to try new things and it's it's fun to, to learn. And, you know, you can you can I always say you can blame or you can learn from your mistakes. Uh, you can blame others or you can just say this one was on me and I'm going to learn what I did wrong. And sometimes it might be what I'm doing wrong. It might be that, you know, the the crop that you're trying to introduce into the crop rotation just doesn't have a fit for for what you're trying to achieve, whether it be the quality of land that you have, whether it be your equipment base, whatever the case may be. So it's it's crucial to keep on learning. And, and that's one of the traits of successful farmers is the uh, drive and the, and the quest for continual learning. Mm-hmm. And you said you have your own operation. What do you grow on it? Where is it based? Uh, we're based just outside of Toulon, and, and uh, we grow, uh, for the most part, uh, wheat, canola, and soybeans. Uh, some of the things that we've changed on our farm in the past few years is we've gone to a pod shatter resistant uh, canola to straight cut it to reduce the field operations. Now, keep in mind, and again, life's about choices, is that it's not a free pass. It's not like you just save the money on on swathing and and you move ahead there's a little bit extra cost whether it be in the seed genetics whether it be in uh, a pre-harvest or a desiccant pass whatever the case may be there's also a little bit more risk with that crop being out a handful of days longer than what it would normally be in a swath for example but it's something that um, we've done on our farm and one of the things that we're thinking about and we just like everybody else have some soybeans left out in the field with some snow drifts in it is looking at our soybeans and our rotation is there a way that we move to maybe moving some of those soybeans into an earlier genetics um, knowing that often with with an earlier uh, genetics like a shorter season genetic package you might be leaving a little bit of yield on the table but uh, if you can't get to that yield then you're leaving a lot on the table so it's that type of decision making that's going into it and a big one that's front and center in our mind is the uh, the pests and how we manage with the pests. So we we in our own farm grow primarily three different crops, but we're now starting to look at throwing in a fourth crop um, to try to again diversify our uh, fight to stay one step ahead of the pests. Mm-hmm. And that first year that you um, you tried straight cut canola, how was the experience with that? Actually, very good. Um, I like to think that uh, we were smart enough to to learn from others and their experiences. So again, uh, talking to a lot of producers who have done it before us, talking uh, to the expert experts in the field, whether it be our own pulse specialists within Manitoba agriculture, or sorry, our oil seed specialists in Manitoba agriculture, or, or just some of the industry folks of what are the best management practices for that. And what we found worked uh, in this area 
would be to make sure that that crop is weed free to make sure that it's disease free because you want it standing uh, when it comes down to harvest. We've also learned that we needed to do a pre-harvest pass and uh, using a, a desiccant on it to even out the crop to reduce uh, storage issues, but then also to make harvest a little bit easier. So we've learned along the way, but uh, just like just like anything, it seems in life that uh, nothing's for free and, and you have to put into it if you want to get something out of it. Yeah, and consulting, like you were saying, Manitoba agriculture, uh, each province's have their own experts that you can consult and there's tons of online resources now and what you were saying like reaching out to a neighbor or a grower in the area especially because they're probably more familiar with you know the specifics and the weather and the soil um, those are also great resources do you have any other places where people can kind of go to to kind of you know, look into what are some new ideas they could be doing next year or five years down the line? Well, for sure, the farm publications that we have are, are tremendous for being able to seek out uh, that information, um, the power of Google, being able to search that information and keeping in mind that uh, the, the, the best information is going to be the local information uh, or even across Western Canada, for example, um, taking inf information and research from outside that region does have risks and I, I caution producers in that. But if you know that it's uh, within your province or within Western Canada, that information I think can be applied to, to our farms here. So there's a number of trade shows that happen throughout the winter. Uh, there's local trade shows, the bigger trade shows like Egg Days in, in Brandon in January in Manitoba. There, there's some great opportunities to go out and not only learn from those experts, but also to network with your fellow producers that are there to be able to uh, to get that information and maybe after a year like this trade some some horror stories. But but learning is the name of the game and improving and and always changing. Uh, definitely, and I'm actually on my way to the uh, Canola Discovery Forums in mid-November, and I think that would be an interesting one to go to, especially based on the year canola just had. And this was actually something that we might have touched on just a little bit earlier, um, but there are always these factors that producers can't account for, kind of like the weather, but then also now this you know, element of trade. So what kind of options do producers have in those situations? Because in this particular incidence, you have your crop rotation planned like three years out, but if something kind of happens around planting season, you can't just switch at the drop of a hat. You have other things to kind of keep track of your disease, your pest, uh, your resistance, all the things that we've been talking about. So when these situations arise, is it best to stick to the plan, wait it out, opt for a plan B, a plan C? Um, what what can someone do? And that's a great question. These and these decisions don't happen in a vacuum. There are long-term consequences to your crop rotation if you say decide to seed a lot less canola. Th that can create an unbalance. Uh, uh, not only that year, but in future years as well. So it is a tough decision for producers to make between balancing the, the needs of the short term with the needs of the long term. And just like anything, it's I think it's about taking that step back and and knowing your strengths and weaknesses on the farm and knowing what you are susceptible to uh, and and what you have some resiliency to. So if a producer has always grown great 
canola crops and for the most part canola is a is a home run crop for them they're maybe a little bit more protected against some of these trade disputes and the volatility that we see within the the canola price uh, you know we've we see it, it used to be moving five cents a bushel in a day was a cause for for heart attacks and now we see them going limit up or limit down and it's just crazy how much volatility there is so there's definitely a balance to be had with that but also you have to realize when it's time to maybe limit your your losses or, or limit your exposure to a certain um, crop and and the potential uh, trade issues that are around with it too so it, it really depends on the the individual within our area here we've had some producers that have decided to move further away from canola, for example, because of the, the trade issues. And, and for them, though, the primary reason was just on their land base and what they saw that they weren't getting the yields as compared to some of the other crops that they could grow, uh, they've made the choice to limit their exposure to canola. Where in other situations, the farmers have been able to produce great canola crops. And even if you start to see a sub $10 per bushel price, uh, and there was down below nine there for, for some time this year, that if they're getting above average yields, that somewhat manages that risk. So uh, taking a look at the economics is maybe not so much looking at, oh, just what is my yield, but looking at the whole yield price cost package and the risk that's on your farm and realizing that, well, okay, if we see some deterioration in the price, but we we can grow this crop well because we got a great rotation. Maybe there's not quite as much risk there as what initially you think. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned some people are kind of, you know, moving away from canola. And I know you had mentioned before that your typical rotation is wheat canola. So I mean, what are they thinking of adding into the rotation instead? Well, that and that's the the big question. And some of the producers have either chosen to go into corn and have looked at primarily a corn soybean rotation uh, with with some wheat uh, and oats in with that um, but the, there hasn't been a lot of movement away from canola it seems like we have a little bit of flux every year um, just yesterday morning I was speaking with the producers telling me he's going to grow more canola because the canola on their farm yielded around 45 bushels to the acre probably their long-term average would be in the mid to high 30s. So there is a benefit there. And the soybeans were yielding 25 to 30 bushels an acre, where long-term average would be 36 to 38 bushels for their farm. So that was the decision that they were making. But the producers have decided to uh, get out of canola and maybe go more into corn. That brings its own set of issues. You need that equipment that goes with the drying capacity, handling facilities, everything around that. So when we make these decisions to make these moves, it's not just looking at what we can do or, or the benefits to those crops in terms of a yield bump that we see. It's the all these other things. And, you know, if you're looking at uh, buying a planter, buying a, a corn head and uh, putting drying capacity on the farm, well, that comes with significant costs. And all of a sudden, the benefits from introducing grain corn into the rotation might not be worth it for some producers. Mm -hmm. And 
And another thing that you kind of mentioned was it's not that easy to kind of just pick up a new crop. One thing that I'm seeing is where I'm based, so southern Ontario, like people can grow a range of crops. And we have a lot of really good um, land for fruit and vegetable production. But kind of when you move out west in Manitoba, I guess eastern southern Manitoba, like that's really good for things like soybeans and things like that. But as you move further out west, even north, so northern Alberta, like when it comes to picking your rotations, maybe you're just limited by, you know, the weather or the soil that you have. So your options are already very limited. So when it picks to, sorry, when it comes to picking a new crop, you already have a smaller pool to to pick from. So I think that's always interesting when I compare like the experience in Ontario with say the prairies. For sure. And that goes back to knowing your capacity and knowing your strengths and weaknesses on your, on your own farm. Um, we have uh, with, within our little interlake region, uh, we have some very high priced land and we have some land that's uh, a lot more affordable. Um, and, and land is often, I always think of it in, in limitations, and you kind of mentioned that too, is that some land has more limitations based on it than other land. But if you understand and appreciate that, then you can look and say, okay, well, this land maybe is not great for some of these crops, but it's really good for these other crops. So what can we do to, again, bring as much uh wring as many drops out of that sponge as we can in terms of profitability. And so what we've seen in, in some of our more marginal uh, land and some of the land that has some more restrictions on it, people have, have grown some forage seeds or even thrown it into forage for a couple of years. And to see the benefits of that land and, and how producers are able to, again, extract more out of that land, that leads directly to profitability. It leads directly to resiliency to shocks, resiliency to extreme weather and trade events. And knowing that the the challenge is, is to to become more profitable, it really puts an emphasis on the superior management skills that our farmers have. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to kind of see that land prices really do have an impact on on management uh, here in Ontario, especially kind of in the south. The the price per acre is very high, and I imagine in places in Manitoba it's the same. And we've seen it before, where the land prices kind of are marginally kind of increasing year after year. And in some places in BC, it's just already astronomical. And so people it it makes more sense for people to kind of work with what they have and invest in the land, whether through like, you know, long-term soil health management or drainage or things like that versus buying a neighbor's plot and then expanding it and trying to find more profit that way. For sure. I always tell producers that what is expansion? Essentially expansion is selling more crop. Um, So the first step and that is making sure that you're using your existing assets, your existing land to the top of its ability. And I don't think anyone can say, oh, I, I manage my land as efficiently as I can. I think we can all manage a little bit more intensively to try to uh, get a little bit more profit out of it. So I think that's that's definitely an important factor. And that's where crop rotation comes into it. And it's a big part of increasing that profitability on those acres that you already manage. Is there anything that you're seeing that's particularly innovative that some producers are adopting when it comes to crop rotation? Well, I think the in, in our area, in, in the interlake, the, the use of forages and uh, grass seeds have uh, 
shown that there's there's definitely some benefit um, to introducing those into the uh, crop rotation. Again, keeping in mind about capacities and and strengths and weaknesses. Uh, some of those crops uh, do spread out the harvest window, which is nice, but it is a different management skill set that's required. So, so that's something that uh, a lot of producers in, in our area are doing. One of the things that I'm finding interesting now is some of the, uh, the, the traits that we're starting to see in the trait stacking within uh, the, the crops that we have. So whether that be a club root trait, whether that be a, um, a Roundup Ready or a Liberty Link trait that we see, and, and often those traits are now being stacked. The decision on rotating your crops and what crops you're going to go, go beyond what crops you're going to go and go into what traits within those crops are you going to go. And often the rotation now is, okay, I have, and take an example, in our area, those three crops, wheat, soybeans, canola, what am I going to do for the traits within those crops? So take uh, canola, for example, we're starting to see producers start to spread out their investment in seed and have some of the regular canola and then investing in pod chatter so that they can have some flexibility when it comes down to harvest and swathing timing and um, risk management against hail, those types of things. Uh, we, we see it within soybeans for the, the extend varieties and the long season versus short season. So the, the, the new thing within crop rotation is just looking at the crops that you're growing and maybe changing some of those genetics and traits that you're investing in so you have like a crop rotation within a crop rotation, if you will. Yeah, and I'm really glad that you brought that up because rotating traits is just as important as rotating crops. And, uh, you know, just last month, a new strain of club root was identified in Manitoba. And club root is, you know, once you have it, like it's just there. So they were finding that, you know, traditional resistant canola varieties were ineffective against this new strain. And that's, you know, always kind of scary to hear. But I know there's a lot of work being done and kind of what you were saying, you know, stacking traits and losing the potency of the resistance in certain traits was happening in Alberta as well. And so I think, you know, rotating traits is also just as equally as important as rotating crops. Well, it's about changing, changing the look, changing uh, what these pests see in terms of not only crop rotation, but the, the products that we use and, and products that we use now include traits that we use within the seed genetics. So it's always changing because as we well know, when we don't change, that's when we start to have the problems. And one thing that in my research before talking to you was very interesting. So I found that Bill May, he's from AAFC Indian Head in Saskatchewan. He did a study on adding special crops uh, into the crop rotation. So he looked at, uh, you know, mixing in a variety of different crops. So like hemp, wheat, oat, canola, pea, canary seed, quinoa, coriander into kind of long season uh, rotations and seeing if there was like a disease benefit or a yield benefit and when I had asked if you had seen anything innovative he had just that research had just wrapped up in 2018 and we actually did a follow-up webinar with him and he shares his research and what he saw and he had several several sites across Saskatchewan so uh, Indian Head, Melfort, Saskatoon, Swift Current so if anyone's 
in those particular regions and they're interested about kind of some of these, you know, special crops uh, like canary seed or coriander, oat, and how that kind of works in there. Um, I'll include that in the show notes as well. And I thought that was particularly interesting. So I just wanted to uh, make a note of it now. And I don't know if you've heard anything on your end about people adding kind of like these very special crops in the rotation, because I know they could be risky, especially if the market for them isn't as developed as, say, some of the, the more standard traditional crops. For sure. Within Manitoba, we have uh, several crop diversification centers that are plots, but they're also demonstration farms as well for a number of the, the new varieties that you're talking about. And I think what's very important, and I think all producers will agree, is that we need to continue to fund these research activities. And we always have to be looking for the new thing and, and keeping in mind that we may try 10 things and only one thing works. That doesn't mean it's a failure because we found that one thing. We need to keep on looking at not only different crops, but then the uses of these crops in terms of crop rotation so that we are always equipped for dealing with what may happen in the future. And, and we talk about volatility in the crop and the prices and volatility in weather. Uh, we just need to look over to Europe and see how they've changed some of their crop production protection practices when it comes down to whether it be glyphosate or some of the neonics uh, when it comes with seed treatment and how it's affected them. So that's why it's important for us to continually keep our feet moving, if you will, and trying to adapt to this change because we, we don't want to be caught unprepared. Mm-hmm. So that just makes for a lot of, you know, good research topics for the uh, upcoming winter once harvest wraps up. So I just want to, you know, start to wrap up this episode. And what would you say are your maybe like top three takeaways from everything we've discussed? So going into the winter months, what should people be thinking about when they're thinking about their own rotations? Well, what I would say firstly is to know your own capacity, uh, both in what you're strong in and what you can use improvement in. And that might be that might be hard to determine that during the growing season because we're so focused on other things. But I think it's worthwhile to, once you've had a, a, a chance to catch a breath from the growing season, to be able to really look and see where your strengths and weaknesses are as a producer and when it comes down to identifying your your weaknesses is the how are you going to improve that and again the winter season is a great time to do that so that's the first thing is to know your your own capacities on your farm uh secondly is i would challenge producers to try something new on the farm trying something new i think is not only great for learning but i think it's also great for just being able to get into the standard practice of of experimenting and trying different things. We're not talking doing something on large scale, but just to do something on a small scale and and learn. I think it keeps the creative juices flowing. Uh, So so I I, I think it's uh, a great thing to do. Lastly, what I'd say when it comes down to crop rotation is look at both the production and the economics and try to find that happy middle ground between the two. Um, We never make production decisions uh, in a vacuum. We never make financial decisions in a vacuum. Understand how the two are connected and make those decisions so you have some efficiencies on the farm and and obviously uh, striving towards profitability. 
those are all really good concluding points. And I just want to say thanks again for taking the time to talk with me today. And I really hope you get your soybeans off despite some of the snowdrift that you're having there. And just thanks again. Thanks. Anytime. We appreciate uh, talking to you. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To catch up on all of our episodes, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts.